you can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life be real hello everyone and welcome to be real on the playlist podcast network my name is chance solon pfeiffer i am one of your hosts today an interview edition of the show with writer-director Madeline Olnick, whose new movie is Wild Nights with Emily. And if you are thinking, Chance, an Emily Dickinson biopic? I don't know. Sounds a little chilly. Sounds a little uh, buttoned up. Hold on, because that mentality is exactly the point that uh, Madeline Olnick would like to confront both in this movie and in this interview. Wild Nights with Emily stars Molly Shannon, as the canonical American poet of the 19th century who came to to fame and requisite status in lit classes a little later on. Wild Nights with Emily started as a play in 1999. Uh, That's when Olnick first put it on. It was a year after she had encountered a very deeply researched New York Times story about uh, the erasure of Dickinson's personality and sexuality from her poems, primarily at the hands of her uh, posthumous publisher, Mabel Todd, who really helped create and solidify this myth of Dickinson, primarily as a a hermitess, somebody who was uh, frigid in social, sexual, and like career ambition senses. And this movie now seeks to correct that record in a really spirited, often funny way. A lot of that has to do with the Molly Shannon performance where you see how uh, witty she can be, what forms her desire takes, and also how she interacts with like the absurdity of a world of men who are just scrounging around in the dark for ways to you know, put the genius in the corner. Um, and it's affecting and funny. And you know, even unlike something like the Emily Dickinson biopic, Quiet Passion, that Terrence Davies movie that came out a few years ago, which which some people really liked and, and has its merits, the stateliness of a movie like that, I think, did little to convince people um, of Emily's humanity, even as it showed that she cared about her work a lot and was like an active person in her own life. This, just in its formalism, with its snapshots, with its interludes, with such great recitations of Dickinson's um, poetry. You you can feel in every shot that it's kind of taking to task what you think a movie like this should be. And that definitely comes from Olnick's background as like a comedic cult filmmaker who's interested in queer stories. So ultimately... This is a strong recommend from me. I really think that this is a fascinating approach to the biopic form in a in a time when a lot of people who care about film are like, can't we just try snapshot moments of people's lives and not Bohemian Rhapsody, this thing? Wild Nights with Emily is like, well, what if we took a snapshot of a snapshot and used the person's work to create almost like something between sketches and paintings in between the narratives of this movie while different people uh, recite Dickinson poems. Um, It just made me think about her differently. It made me happy that people are still, uh, you know, trying when it comes to making biopics. And it's, uh, you know, we're not that far into the year, but Wild Nights with Emily definitely lands within my top 10 favorites of 2019 so far. So uh, see it 
and stay tuned. Madeline Olnick and I talk about uh, what Molly Shannon was like in college, what her preconceived notions about Dickinson were. And then at the end, my, my favorite bit of the interview, um, she talks about maybe we should improve our bullshit detectors a little bit when we hear about women in history who are portrayed as not behaving in particularly human ways. Uh, something might be up there, she says. It's a uh, so lots of fun to talk to her. Thank you for listening to this interview today. And without further ado, here's Madeline Olnick. They called her the myth. Too much has been made of late of Emily Dickinson's famous reclusivity. Hello. Let me tell the real story about this special poet. I wanted to start with a quote I heard you give in another interview. I think you said that at one time, maybe in college, you wanted to be the Emily Dickinson of comedy. And I wonder what that meant to you at that time. Well, it was basically a big laugh line because Emily Dickinson was considered the most miserable and unfunny person in the universe. (laughs) Uh So I was just getting a cheap laugh at the expense of the spinster recluse. Yeah. Um, but what was funny was that then as I actually learned about Emily Dickinson, once I, after I read that article in 1998, one of the amazing things I found out was she was funny and she did have a sense of humor. Mm. Um, she, she herself was already the Emily Dickinson of comedy. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, and it was one more information we had been given about her um, one more way in which she had been twisted into this completely creepy and unappealing person. So the really common misconceptions about her as a spinster recluse, how did those reach you? Lit class? Not not just lit class. I mean, people are reading Emily Dickinson in junior high school. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the teacher always usually says something. Everyone I've spoken to, even... Even um, people I know who are in their, you know, early 20s in college have all heard this story. Yeah. I remember when I was in college, someone told me she was an agoraphobic. Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, she was an agoraphobic. You know, she had like a mental illness. She couldn't leave her room. Despite the fact that I understood that I had heard that she was like a, a genius, she also was presented as a very disturbed person. Right. That image of her made me not want to read her her work. Oh, sure. It really didn't. Yeah, I I hadn't thought about that, but it's of course true that I felt much more warmly about her verse watching your movie than I did studying it in college. That's with, interesting. That's really interesting. You went to school with Molly Shannon at NYU, right? I did. I'm so delighted I get to ask I this, but what was I Molly did. Shannon like in college? Um, well, we did... Um, some comedy shows together she was incredible I mean when she came on stage I remember the first show it was like it was like in the Wizard of Oz when the tornado was landing (laughs) (laughs) it was incredible no one had ever seen anything like that we did this comedy show there were lines around the block um Dan Jinx was one of the producers and he he saw the lines around the block as evidence that he should become a producer. Mm. But the lines around the block were not for his producing. The lines around the block were for Molly. Sure, sure. Um, she was 
really, really amazing. Was it sketch or improv? Oh, what was your role? Well, I was the, I directed it. Ah. And I conceived of the scene, I conceived of the sketch where Molly first created her character um, that later became Mary Catherine Gallagher. No way. I did not know that. I, yeah. So I created this. I always have thought auditions are very funny. So I created this audition scenario where everyone in the cast had to come through the door and audition. And I would keep sending Molly out back out because I was um, just very like a taskmaster and um, she kept upping her game until she finally burst out into this character. And it was amazing. Mm, that's great. So I was, I was the midwife. I was, we, we like to talk about it or refer to it as my being the midwife at that, at that moment. Um, the character was her creation, but I, I helped to enable the birth. Sure. Sure. So Madeline, I had a friend say to me recently that, that he thinks that we're living through a kind of Molly Shannon renaissance right now. And I think, especially in the wake of that movie, Other People, that a lot of people love, she seems to have really found this this yeah. sweet spot that is actually, you know, different from the, the tornado you might have described from some decades ago, like her comedy <laughs> these days can be like very open-hearted and, uh-huh. and knowing and innocent kind of all at the same oh. time. Um, I wonder what... What are your favorite qualities of hers as a performer, um, maybe specifically with regard to this collaboration, Wild Nights with Emily? Molly has so much humanity as a performer. There is such genuine warmth there. Um, she's such a, she has such an original mind. Mm-hmm. And um, she can play drama and comedy equally. And that was really important for me because because of the revision of Emily Dickinson, what a lot of people don't know is that Emily Dickinson had a great sense of humor. Yeah. Um, and was very warm and did have these friendships and relationships also that were very important to her. And she was, she loved her niece and nephews and, um, there was a lot of warmth in her life and Mm. we've been robbed of that warmth, um, through the revisionist, um, idea of, of Dickinson, right? Um, which was part trying to make her into a victim because otherwise she would have been so threatening as this groundbreaking poet. So it was very important to me because I knew she could handle the language, right? But I also knew that she could I mean, of Dickinson's poems. But I also knew that. Emily Dickinson, knowing that she was taking the poetic form to a place that it wasn't, and it was, she took it to a brand new place. She was a trailblazer and a rebel, and um, she was a brave person. She wasn't someone who was frightened and hiding in her her room. Um, And I knew she would be able to capture all of those qualities. So speaking of the innovations of form in Dickinson's poetry, Madeline, what conversations did you have with your actors about the actual um, reading of, of Dickinson's verse? Because, you know, more so, I mean, it's important in all poetry recitation, but especially with hers, with the rhythm and the dash breaks and the non-traditional line breaks, what conversations did you guys have about getting the, the actual recitation right? Because the, the audible verse plays a huge role in the film. Well, um, we always came from meaning. Mm-hmm. We always came from what? What's the idea? What does every poem mean? What does every word in the poem like? What? What are? What is Dickinson trying to communicate here? 
since the poems come out of moments that are happening in the movie, yeah, um, it was important to we were using them to express certain thoughts and ideas that Emily Dickinson as a person was having. Um, I know for myself as a writer that I often have an experience and write about it ten years later. So the idea that her poetry was often a tool for her to synthesize experience and to examine it um, was one of the thoughts we had in terms of where the poems were coming out of, where they're placed dramatically in the film. But the other idea that was really important is not to get stuck on ideas of traditional recitation, mm-hmm. um, but rather to communicate meaning. I want to ask you a little bit about the the style of comedy in this movie, because I just did find it very funny. Uh, the thing that kept hitting me was where sort of a, like a sight gag would come out of a scene where the manners of the, of the period of, of, you know, 1870s Amherst were like otherwise very much intact. Um, so tell me about kind of keeping, keeping that balance. One of the big things I discovered in researching the movie was how different the 1800s were than I thought they would have been. Just even in the writing, where there were expressions that were so contemporary, um, jokes, things that happened, funny things that they did. Um, I, I just didn't. You think of period, you think of, of a stuffy time, like 1800s, and you know, ooh, uh, you know, like yeah. very like proper and everything. Um, but we also thought it was funny how, well, not funny, but I was also struck when I was doing the research on Emily and Susan, what it must have been like, you know, for me coming out, part of, part of the whole process of coming out is that you start to understand that maybe you might be gay and then you go through different stages and you're able to talk to other people and hear their experiences and hear what they, what their thought process was, Emily and Susan, it was before, the time before the word lesbian was used, and they had no one to talk to about what they were going through. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, in period, there is there is a way in which you were talking about the, the, formal, the formal things and then the fight gags, but there was like a distance between this very kind of formal um, required behavior that people are supposed to have, and then these broiling passions underneath. Yeah. And, and that gap between what the expected behavior is and what people were actually thinking and feeling struck me as a rich gold mine to explore did, uh, for, for comedy. Yeah. Did you, did you have a, um, an intermingling of those two that, that jumped to you first or maybe just a, a favorite moment in the movie that you that you worked over for that kind of, um, that clash? You know, I mean, of course, most ridiculously when they fall over making out at the beginning. Right, <laughs> yep. After the very formal kisses on the cheeks. Um, then I would say um, when Mabel um, goes and bows at the altar and while she does sort of a flirtatious, you know, wiggle yes. walk during a funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is sort of an on-the-spot question, Madeline, but I did want to pick your brain about it. I'm wondering if you feel if there are other figures, historical or contemporary, who 
you think would be particularly suited by this kind of re-exploration biopic? Does anyone come to mind that might interest you as a storyteller or just in general where you're like, oh, I wonder that person's reputation from what I know or for what I read or for what I intuit is kind of buried under some like, you know, cultural bullshit. Does anyone come to mind kind of akin to Emily? Well, it's funny you should say that because one of my favorite reactions to a screening of this movie, I screened it in progress over a year and had all different kinds of audiences come in. And this writing class came in and this young woman said when she was watching the movie, she thought, of course, of course Emily Dickinson had someone in her life she was reading her work to. What she had thought about Emily Dickinson was that she had just lived alone in a woodshed next to a pile of, of uh, firewood or some, some crazy story sure. that she knew was wrong, but she was like, something about her living alone, a woodshed, whatever. And she said, you can almost count on any time you hear the story of a woman in history that it isn't true. So one of the things I hope people take away from this is a larger lens and think about the next time they hear stories about women in history or possibly even contemporary, think about the great motivation and possibility that those stories have been twisted in a way that makes them, um, that, that is not true. I mean, and it's interesting, the, the cultural moment that we're having right now, part of what we're asking ourselves is, well, how did we get to a place like this as a society? We, this isn't how we think of ourselves as a backward nation. Mm-hmm. How did we get to a place where, um, for whatever you thought of Hillary Clinton's politics, there were two people running for president. One person was eminently qualified, and the other person was unqualified. And the qualified person lost because she was a woman. Mm-hmm. And sexism is now affecting all of us, regardless of your gender. We're all, you know being affected by it, um, we're all, we're all, our whole country is being caused to suffer, but part of the reason for this very deep-set prejudice comes from the stories that we tell about women and how we represent women in history, and how, you know, when Hillary Clinton ran for president, it was like all of a sudden there was an ambitious woman. That's freakish. That's a witch. You know, because what we've heard about women, women aren't that way. Emily Dickinson didn't want to get her poems published. She hid them away. She didn't want anyone to read her work. Like, that's what we're told. Right. It's totally untrue. And so every, every woman who comes along has to, almost has to invent themselves from scratch. Because every woman who's lived before has had their, their story revised and, and retold and sanitized and made ladylike. So it's, it's an approach that can, you know, it's definitely a thought that people should bring with them um, when they're looking at stories of women um, told through time in history. I missed you. Susan, you have to be careful. You are the one who writes the poems. Puts it in ink. Every poet has a muse. These are for you. One cup flour, no, add milk. It's on the other side. All right, folks. Thanks so much for listening to this interview edition of Be Real. Wild Nights with Emily is playing in my home city of Portland. It's, of course, playing in New York, where Noah lives. Uh, If you're one of our lovely Nebraska listeners, I happen to know it's coming to the Ross Theater in Lincoln 
in May, but but look it up and go see it if you're interested in uh, historical literary figures and very inventive biopics about them. Noah and I will be back next week with a uh, full episode about movies based on fan fiction. It should be one of our trashiest episodes yet in terms of the films selected. We're going to watch After, which is a new movie based on One Direction fanfic. We're going to watch Fifty Shades of Grey, which I've been trying not to do for years, but I will. And we're going to watch Pride and Prejudice and Zombies if you want to watch along with this uh, and just see how many bad goods we can hand out. Uh, We're looking forward to it. You take care out there and thanks for listening.